frustration. Okay. You got the scene. Oh, it's hot. You can feel that heat coming in the old... The old man, hey, wait, that ease up there, fellas. Wait, wait a minute, that ease now. Let's, let's wait till they get settled there. All the yelling done up there? Okay, now we can go. Let's give them a big hand. Come on. Just... Thank you up there, gang. So here's, here's the scene. It is ice cream time. They are selling seven-cent ice cream cones at the Red Rooster. And we get out on that highway. And you can see Oldsmobiles. You can see Huffmobiles. You can see Essexes. What is the plural of Essex? S-E? S-I's? S-E's? You can see these cars all going, millions of them down the going, rolling down the street. They're heading towards one thing. Right down there on Holman Avenue, where the Red Rooster has established its new combine. And we arrive, I'll tell you, I'll never forget the scene. I'll tell you the truth. This is what happened. We're two blocks away, and you can't even get a parking place. And there are thousands of people walking along the streets. Old ladies, kids, ladies in wheelchairs. Oh, they're going to seven-cent ice cream corners not to be laughed at. You know, know, out of the way, and guys are getting run over, and guys with peg legs are going. It's fantastic. Kids in wagons and carts, they're all going towards this spot. We get out of the car, and the old man says, come on, let's go, hurry up. He's dragging along. He's still got his underwear half button, you know. My mother is dragging behind my kid brother down the street. We can, we can see this line of people. A line of people in front of the Red Rooster. And there on the... He had, he had painted in white calcimine on the front of his window, seven cent, triple dip, all you can take. Well, I want to tell you, it was a scene of such fantastic unrivaled excitement they're all standing in line you can see the old ladies thousands of them coming out ice cream cones you ever seen a guy with 14 ice cream cones in his arms like that seven cent ice cream cones and the crowd is excited and rumors began to come through the crowd we're waiting in line you know they're running out of ice cream they're running out of cones you got to carry the balls in your hand you know Well, yeah, everybody's, everybody's panicked. You know, the old man, he's got his 28 cents out like this. You know, he's ready, ready. To and suddenly, and here across the street, you see, Holman Avenue is a fantastic uproar of people stopping, cars looking. And this crowd across the street is the igloo, absolutely empty. And you can see old John looking out. He's looking across. And you see Aggie standing next to him. They're both looking. All of a sudden, John comes running out of the place. He looks across. He says, hey, look at this sign. Six. Six cent ice cream cones. Triple dip. The crowd looks, you know, here they are just they're, they're torn, you see, for that instant. And instantly, boom, the whole mob goes across the street, you know. You see shoes on the street, hats, and little kids are laying there all across the street. They go, you can feel the whole town tilt, you know. <laughs> they go thundering across, and old Johnny's got 14 kids, and they're loading the six cents, and nothing at the Red Rooster. They're big seven. You see this guy from the Red Rooster, you know, he's the city type, city man. We didn't even know who he was, the official guy. He's got a suit on. John always wore this apron with uh, Tutti Frutti all over it and stuff. And this guy's looking across. You see he's on the phone. Okay. Hangs his phone up, walks out. He writes, Five. He doesn't do anything, just stands there. Walks back in. Instantly the crowd. Oh, my God. Five-cent triple-dip ice cream cone. Do you realize that's a seven-pound ice cream cone? Five-cent. And there's a, there's a brief pause. It must be the way it is just before the atom bomb goes off, where everything hangs, and the crowd, across the street, you can immediately, there are ice creams. John is looking out, sweating. Okay. All right. All right. 
What's this, all you guys? What's this? He writes, two, four, five cents. Two for a nickel. Two ice cream cones for a nickel. And there's another pause. Across the street they go. You can feel the ground thundering. And by the way, by now, the rumor has gotten out and almost all of northern Indiana has arrived. <laughs> Greyhound buses have arrived. <laughs> they got a sign, Ice Cream War Special on it, you know. <laughs> they're coming from places like Griffith and they're coming from Indianapolis. Yeah, and you can see airplanes flying over. It's now about 10 o'clock. We haven't moved three. Hey, hey, easy back there. We haven't moved an inch and a half in this line. And up ahead, you can see the people scoring. You know, carrying away ice cream cones. They'd walk past, dripping. Thousands of them walking past and getting in the end of the line. They're eating, they're eating the ice cream cones, you know, frantic. And with that, John sees what's happening. Across the street, igloo. He's put up a four-cent sign. Two for four cents. John rushes out and puts up a three-cent sign. It is getting unbelievable. They are selling ice cream now at a nickel a quart. As much as you can carry home, and you can see trucks arriving back of both places. You know, with more ice cream. They're feeding the whole damn town. It's wild. It is now midnight, and the crowd has become almost unmanageable. You could see them all for miles. And my father's saying, let's, let's see now. Uh, we'll get uh, seven ice cream cones. We'll get nine quarts. Uh, we'll get two pints of pistachio and uh, three malted milks. That'll be uh, 12 cents. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was getting at that point, and there's a fantastic excitement in the crowd. They're roaring, and it's hot. Oh, it's 150 degrees. Oh, it's hot. And John is standing in there. You can see his apron torn. And his scoop is worn down to a nubbin. And all they've got left is vanilla or something like grape cherry, some obscene flavor. They're down at the bottom. It's now midnight. I remember one sign that said, free. Ice cream free. And the crowd is now out of hand. You could hear them muttering, murmuring. And once in a while, you'd hear somebody yelling in there. And, and the window of, of, remember the moment when the window of John's came crashing out. Somebody was pushed through the window. John didn't give a damn. He's here fighting them. He's at the ramparts. And across the street, the red rooster man is, his tie is open. They're glaring at each other. And suddenly from the distance, you could hear the sound of sirens approaching. The crowd now is quiet. And the cars with the big red lights arrive. They move down the middle of the street. And they walk in, the Johns. You can see a couple of these big guys. And a couple of guys go across the street to the, to the Red Rooster. The crowd's watching. You see John talking. You see the Red Rooster guy talking. And then John looks across the street. Hi. <laughs> The guy in the red roosters. Oh, John. <laughs> and with that, the cops walk down the street. Says, "All right, now break it up. It's all over. Break it up." And here are the kids now out washing the windows off. Everybody went home, and you could see for blocks. You could see old busted ice cream cones. You could see crushed paper cups. You could see girdles. There were about 30 sets of false teeth. And there was the rubble of the great ice cream war of Hammond, Indiana. And the next day, there was, I'll never forget the newspaper. The next day, headline, great ice cream war breaks out on home in Indiana. Many hurt. Casualty reports still coming in. The old man's sitting there, you know, a combat veteran. You know, he's sitting there, you know, reading his paper, looking around. He says, you know, wouldn't it be great if they had the, if they had an automobile war? <laughs> you know, Chevy's, eight cents. 
And from that day on, it's fascinating, from that day on, this myth has grown. And now out in Hammond, Indiana, they, they base things before and after. It's like the atom bomb or, or Pearl Harbor, before the ice cream war or after the ice cream war. Oh, yeah, they talk, they talk about this. Of course, that was pre-war. What they're referring to is the ice cream war. And, and, and then, of course, once in a while you'll meet old codgers who claim to have actually gotten an ice cream cone. Oh, and they talk about it, you know, and this whole thing, it's, it's that kind of summer madness, and it's part of the ice cream mythos in America. You know that here in town now, the ice cream has gotten to be almost an object of worship? This is probably the first show you ever heard with ice cream as a premise. But there is a place here in town now where you can go in and buy a $3 sundae. You know, a two seventy-five sundae. Oh, yeah, I'm not inventing this. Oh, yeah, because all of us secretly, you see, feel that we're very hip. We've all grown up, and we don't want to go in and buy an ice cream sundae. What we want is a martini, you know, or, or Jack Daniels or something like that. Now, if you can include both, a good stiff price tag and a chocolate triple dip sundae, you can, you can encase the whole thing all wrapped up. Of course, this comes from a deep thing inside of us to be in. Oh, by the way, before we go any further, how many of you are in? Oh, come on, I keep... What kind of a thing is this? I keep reading a paper about the in and the out people. Are, are, are any of you in here? There she is. There's the only one. <laughs> yeah, I can tell it, yeah. The sequin glasses, that's it. <laughs> Yeah, that's a young Arlene Francis already. Well, you know, that in and out thing is a fantastic urge. And, and this, this, it's all somehow connected with the summer. I don't know why it is. But in the summertime, the, cl the clothes, the attitudes, the hipness, the inness, the withitness, all of this comes out. Have you ever stood on the beach, like, say, at Jones Beach, and you can tell the in and the out instantly? You really can, you know? It's the, it's, the, it's the in, the out, the, and the in. You can tell them by their, 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 the, the suits they wear and, and what kind of music they listen to on their transistor radio. How about those great commercials of the beaches? You've seen those? All, all taking part on the beach. It shows this whole crowd, you know, and they're, they're fruging away. And boy, you know, and, and, and the, the quick shot, and there's that barrel of beer. You see these hands reaching in like that. And it boom, 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 boom. And it says, yes, the new, is it, the new with it in people. They're drinking this beer. You can see the music roaring and bellowing. And you know, the other day I go to Jones Beach. And I, I'm already prepared, you know. I want to be in. And so I've got the backseat of the car loaded with seven cases of the in beer. And I have put the gas in my car that the with it people use. Have you seen that gasoline that they advertise? The really withered people know this kind of gas. <laughs> you see that one? That's a great one of this guy driving up with the chick, the gas station. And they're very, you know, they're two of go-go types. He drives up. She's got the bell-bottom vinyl pants, you know, the whole bit. <laughs> These are very intelligent people. You're gonna, they see right through the sham, you know. And a, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and their radio is playing, you know. Bum, gum, 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 gum. You can't hear anything for four miles around them. They drive up to the gas station. You see that commercial? It's great. And out comes this gas station attendant who looks like a cross between, uh, oh, I'd say uh, Gregory Peck and Anthony Perkins. Yeah, you know, he sort of bounds up. <laughs> Clean shaven, beautiful, you know. He says, ah, immediately he's cleaning the windshield. How long has it been? Does anybody has cleaned your windshield unless you, hey, clean the windshield, Mac. He's out, blood out. <laughs> That's really the way the friendly sir, or he throws you a rag. <laughs> you catch it like that and grease shoots past you. Know? But the world of the commercial is a very different world. Have you seen that? Oh, there's, there's another commercial I think is very significant. Along the same line of the in people. It's this one where they're all on the surfboards. You seen that one? And they come sweeping in through the surf. 
You could see the light shining. It's fantastic photography. You could see the hair streaming. And the surf music. Dun, 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 is going. You wonder what is this commercial for? What are they selling, you know? Holy smokes. And then you see this beautiful chick. She runs out on the beach and you see the wind streaming through her hair. Oh, fantastic. And you see this tall guy. He runs after her, you know, the two of them. And up they go. And you say, oh, what are, what are they selling? <laughs> and the music is... And, and, and the announcer says, yes, the beautiful people always go to the beautiful things. They know what the world is about. And they sit down, open the basket, and out comes a jar of mustard. <laughs> and it goes, go, 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 camera dollies it. And the rock and roll music rises up, and you say, oh, so that's what it's about. I gotta buy the right mustard. I wonder what it's got in that mustard. And then, how about this other commercial? Oh, I'll tell you, there's another fantastic commercial. It takes place in a warehouse. You seen that one? Oh, yeah. There's thousands of cases. And all of a sudden you hear, showbiz. And six guys that are truckloaders come floating out of the wings. Have you seen those guys? They float. I'll tell you, they don't touch the ground once. Six truckloaders, you can hear their wings fluttering, you know, and the music goes da 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 da. You expect Barbara Streisand to show up any minute now, and they go floating off, choreographed, and they disappear into the distance. And I begin to realize then there is a real revolution going on in America, even among truck drivers. Oh boy, you have to explain that one to her. She doesn't know. Fantastic moment. And so it's all part of the in-world, and I'll never forget the time as a kid, the one brief moment in my life that I was in, and I will never forget it. Once you've tasted glory, it's not easy to go back. I remember one night walking into a shoe store. True story. Walked into a shoe store. I just walk in. I sit down. You know how you sit down with a shoe store. You know, you walk in, sit down like this. And a guy comes over, and he's got that little thing you measure the foot with. He walks over, and he says, What model are you looking for, sir? And I said, Well, it's the one in the window, the one with the bells on it. <laughs> well, with the bells, got the little fringe there. I want the red and white one. And he looks at me, and he goes off. You know, he walks away. He comes back with this thing, and he starts to measure my foot. And I look at him. I look him right in the eye, and all of a sudden there is a little bell ring. A bell of familiarity. I can remember somewhere along the line, I have seen this guy. And he comes back with another pair of shoes. And then I say to him, don't I know you? And he looks up at me from under his beetling brows. Like as if, please don't say you know me. I said, well, don't I know you from someplace? And he says, well, I don't know. He walks away, and I see the shoulders, and suddenly it hits me. I knew those same shoulders when they had two silver leaves on them. <laughs> so help me, I'm not inventing it. It was a lieutenant colonel that once gave me a you-know-whatting out. Holy smokes, I'll never forget one afternoon when, when I stood in his office with Gasser and this guy took me apart, made me into coleslaw, made Gasser into potato salad, <laughs> told us about, and, and one, of the, one of the things, I'll never forget this discussion that this lieutenant colonel once gave us, he said, you guys got to remember that your record will follow you after the war. <laughs> what you do in the army is going to depend on what happens to you when you get out. And here he is. He's got my little pink shoes with the bells on them. <laughs> you know, I sit down. I said, uh, you know, put a, watch it, Mac. Not too tight, Jack. <laughs> Walk around. How do these look? He says, oh, they look all right, sir. They look very good on you. With those high ankles you've got with the lumps on them, they look very good. 
I sit down like this. I said, okay, now let's try the green ones with the gold zipper. I want the green ones with the gold zipper with the silver tassel. Now let's try them. He brings those. And about 20 minutes after this was going on, I finally said, uh, I think I'll take these, Colonel. Just for a moment, it hung there. And he turned around and he says, You haven't changed, have you, Corporal? You still ain't got no taste. You know, we're pursued forever by our past. Well, speaking, speaking of failures, what radio station is this crowd? You are cordially invited to George and Martha's for an evening of fun and games. I know what we do. How about a little round of Get the Guests? George. Both drop a child man. I don't, I don't like these games. Don't anyway. Childs! Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton, the new motion picture, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? You can sit around with a gin running out of your mouth, you can humiliate me, you can tear me to pieces all night, that's perfectly okay, that's all right. You can stand it. I cannot stand it. You can stand it. You married me for it. That's a desperately sick lie. Don't you Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton, the motion picture, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Also starring George Siegel and Sandy Dennis. Remember, no one under 18 will be admitted to the theater unless accompanied by his parent. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? From Warner Brothers. You're gonna get it, baby. Be careful, Martha. I'll rip you to pieces. You are not man enough. You haven't the guts. Edward Albee's Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Criterion and Lowe's Tower East Theaters. You know, making it happiness, swinging, joy, pizzazz. The whole scene, it goes like this, see? And then it sort of levels off. And then it droops off. Until finally, it's down at the zero baseline, which is where it started, at the zero baseline. Now, we always assume, though, that that peak is just ahead. You know, this thing. Upward. Next weekend, it's going to start. Yeah, oh, you know, next summer, I'm going to really build that cottage. I'm going to get a boat. I'm going to do it. And now here it is, already July, and you're still fooling around. You haven't even been to the beach once this year. You can't even get a parking place yet. All summer you've been looking. Nothing. Well, all right, how would you... Can you imagine it? If your life is like that, what a fantastic thing to realize if the best day of your life... Because we must have one day when, we are, when, when, the, when it's all at the top. One day. It has to be. Happened when you were six. <laughs> And you didn't know it. You know, this is, this, is a, this is an interesting concept. And so I remember one time, and this could very well have been the peak moment. It's hot. It's summer. I am 13, which is a very interesting year. When you're 13, you're not in it yet. And you're not out of it yet. You can't be an in or an out 13, really. You know. you're, you're made out of cellophane. The sun shines through you. And, you know, you, you, and you're always under the illusion, of course, that you're very hip, that you're on top of it. All 13-year-olds, you ought to see the letters I get. Oh, yeah, I, I, it never stops a 13-year-old from writing a four-page letter telling you what's wrong with our South Asia policy. And he's basing it on long experience and deep thought. You know, and I... Uh, this is a great, great time of, of, of life to be in because you have absolute, total, total confidence. And so I'm 13, see. And I have begun to play with radio. Amateur radio. And I'm the only guy in the neighborhood except Lawrence Stryker across the street. And I am doing something that nobody else is doing. I am building radio sets. And it's now May. And I, I'm kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like seven feet tall because all the rest of the kids are out there trying to field pop fouls. You know, they're trying to field ground balls. And I am working on Ohm's Law problems. I'm getting inner and inner. I'm getting bigger inside of myself, and I'm getting very snotty. 
You know, my old man, it's funny how, how you outstrip your father. You know, how many of you have had that terrible feeling of suddenly realizing your father is an ignorant klutz? <laughs> the terrible feeling, you know? And, I, and, and my, I, my father used to be a kind of like a demigod in the family. I mean, with, with fixing lights, repairing stuff that didn't work, like, like fans and stuff. And he was great, you know, he would fix it like this, you know. <laughs> yeah, he was good. And he would let nobody else kick stuff. Because he knew how to kick it, just at the right place, see. And that's the way, and he would fix a light bulb like this, you know, his idea of fixing. He says, all right, all right, I'll fix it. He'd go like that, turn the switch on. What do you mean it's on? It's still dark. <laughs> All right, now hold your water. Okay. He'd hit it. All right, turn it off now. Turn it on again, quick. There. See? It's fixed. And then he'd walk away and would go out. That was his idea of, you know, I used to think, gee, my dad knows all about electricity. He really knows. And now I'm 13, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm building radios. And I remember that terrible afternoon. I am reading a book on radio, and, and my dad had created the myth in, his, in the family that when he was a kid, he built radios. And so here I am sitting there, and I says, Hey, Dad, I want to figure out, you see, you see the grid leak here, Dad? And I'm showing him a schematic diagram. I said, you see the grid leak here, Dad? I want to figure out it. it. They don't give the value of that. And they say that you can calculate the value by the RC constant of the tuned circuit here. Now, Dad, how, what, what, what value should I use? <laughs> the old man says, well, I don't see it leaking. <laughs> he said, are you sure that's a grid leak? It's not leaking. I said, well, yes, this is a grid leak here, Dad. It's a, he's, nah, you're all wet. That is all. He's trying to brazen it through. He says, no, 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 that's not, that must be a misprint there. It's not grid leak. I looked at my dad. He's walking away with that cocksure, you know. And I realized my old man is a phony. <laughs> he's a dumb klutz, you know. He's been ad-libbing his way through life. You can't ad-lib about a, a, an Ohm's law constant like that, you know? I says, Dad, I says, you can calculate. Here's the formula. And he says, the what? I said, well, here's the formula for calculating the Ohm's the resistance on that thing, Dad. And it says, you, X, now look, Dad, see? You take the value of the condenser C in microfarads. He says, micro what? I says, microfarads, Dad, and you multiply it by the impedance and he walked away. He said, that ain't the way I build radios. It's all that book stuff. He said, we just put parts together and make them go. I said, yes, Dad. And now I'm 30 feet tall. And every night my dad used to drive in from work. And he would look in the front bedroom. And I am sitting there working on my stuff, you know. I had this little bench that I had built in the front bedroom. And it had all my test equipment, which I bought from my paper route. I had it all mounted on the wall, see. And I have learned to code. The old man had trouble figuring batting averages. Oh, yeah, he used to ad-lib batting averages. I says, Dad, what if Luke Applin gets one out of three? What's he got? He says, well, one out of three, that's uh, one out of three, three. Uh... Well, he's batting over 200. <laughs> You know, he, he figured everything on batting average, you see. So here I am, you know, I'm a real smart, you know, there's, there's a word I can't even use on the radio. It's three letters. A smart you-know-what kid. And I am playing it big. I love it. I really do. And I would sit at supper table and I would talk to my mother and my, fat, you know, my kid brother. And I'd say, I'm going to buy an X-cut crystal in the middle of the 40-meter band. And when I get on, I'm going to use a tri-tet circuit. I'm going to, I'm going to try a tri-tet. You know what I'm going to try? I think I may try a double-extended zap on 40. No man sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> and then he tried to, you know, he tried to outploy me. He said, I think I'm going to grind the valves on the olds. 
I'm going to use a number two grinding compound, and I'm going to use the number three shim in the clearance calculator. How about that, kid? <laughs> and I, then I'd turn you, I'd say, hey, you want to use my calipers, Dad? He thought you picked nuts with calipers, you know? But so it was that kind of relationship, and I, I'm playing it real big. And every afternoon on those hot summer days, I would sit in my front bedroom in my own little inn world. And I'm on the air now. I have built my shortwave transmitter. It's code, you see, which made it even more mysterious. And it would make the lights flicker without even touching the switch, which mystified my father completely. <laughs> Yeah, and he'd say, he'd say, how come the lights go down? Are you going to blow a fuse? I'd say, no, Dad, that's because I am drawing a sudden load on the high impedance line that feeds the transformer. I'd say, oh, you ain't going to burn out no damn fuse, are you? I'd say, Father, there is no danger of burning out a fuse. Because I have my, I have my power supply fully damped. I'd say, fully what? Don't you use no language like that around me. I'd say damped, Dad. D-A-M-P-T. That means that it has a high coefficient of security. So, ha ha. I better have. He's pretending he understands, see. So every day I'm sitting in here on the, on the air. And about every five, my mother never tried to compete with me. My mother had only one phrase that she used over and over again. She would come into the front bedroom with the towel, you know, with her hair up in curlers. She's wearing her bathrobe. And she would say, watch out for live wires. She said, Don't blow yourself up. Get a bad shock with that. And she'd go away. I'd say, oh, come on, Ma, now don't bother me. I'm talking to a guy in Cleveland. Don't bother me, Ma. I'm not going to blow myself up. Now, Ma, stop it. With that supercilious air of the kid who knows everything about everything. He is totally... You hear that one? <laughs> There's one back there now. Yeah, the kid that knows what the world is about, and he's got it by the you-know-what. <laughs> Oh, I'll tell you, it's a great feeling, see? And one afternoon, oh, it was hot. I'll never forget this because it was one of the great lessons of my life. It's hot. The temperature is about, oh, 100 degrees like it was last week here in New York. We had that temperature all summer out in the Midwest. And the sky is kind of laying down, just looking. And it's, it's, it's one of those misty, hazy summer days. And you can hear the... You can hear the crickets for miles around. And I'm sitting in my front bedroom, and right next to me is an open window. And I'm on the air, see. And above me on the roof, after a fantastic battle of about three weeks, I was able to get my old man to let me put a pole on the roof, see. And put another pole over here on the garage and run in between my little wire. That was my antenna. And then from the end of the wire came the lead-in came down and I had it all mounted. See, it was a 600-ohm lead, which I had calculated, and it came right into my window, like that. And up here it went to my tuning circuit, my transmitter. You got the picture? And I'm sitting there, and I'm working, I'm working the world. I have got my own scene going. I am on top of it. And I can see all the lesser kids out there, you know, kicking cans around. Well, you know what kids do, scratching and hitting each other and stealing stuff and that stuff. So I'm on the air. It's hot. And I notice out the window there a few drops of rain. Just a few. You know those wonderful summer showers? And you get them in Indiana. Great big drops about the size of ping pong balls. You know, ping. And I'm talking. I will remember this because I even recall the guy I'm talking to. I am talking to a ham in Denver. And every time I put the key down, you'd see the lights dim a little bit. There's that sense of power, goom, goom. They're hearing me all over the world. You know, goom, and then goom. And my mother's out in the kitchen, and she's doing the dishes. And she walks into the front bedroom, and she says, it's starting to rain. 
It's starting to rain. Don't be careful now because you get shocks when it's wet. Oh, come on, Mom. You know, gee whiz. And I'm working that transmitter. And now there is a slight roll of thunder. A roll of thunder came in through the bedroom and bounced off the wall. And I have my earphones on, little knowing that in the next millisecond I am about to experience a traumatic experience. <laughs> I will never in this world forget it, I'll tell you. I'm real snotty, you know, I'm talking to this guy, he says, okay, Charlie, uh, uh, okay, Charlie, uh, that's about all for here. What do you got now? I'll stand by, W9QWN, by for W9, blah, 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 boom, ba, boom, K. I put on my cans, I sit there for a second, and everything hung, and I heard him coming back. For one instant, I heard, boop, boop, boop. And then, what I am about to tell you, I cannot clearly describe. No, I can't. I heard a muttering of thunder out there. I knew for one brief instant that something had happened. And then it was gone. And then it came back again. And a fantastic blue ball. A ball about the size, I'll tell you, it was 30 feet across. Came right in my bedroom window. Big blue ball. Oh! It ran right up the antenna wire around the room hit my transmitter boom I staggered back I hit the wall and I laid there on the ground I don't know how long I was there I was behind and under the day bed one earphone had been torn completely off my head my shoes were smoking my, my hands were all the way up here they were great black I had, I had blisters all the way up to my elbow, and this bolt of lightning kept spinning around in the room looking down at me. And then all of a sudden it said, Song Jack, run! It fell out the window and down my ground wire. And there was my transmitter, nothing but small pieces of wire and smoldering embers. I, I couldn't, for a long moment, I could not bring my mind together. It's not everybody that's been hit by lightning. I have. You sit for a second. And then I saw my mother in the doorway. She says, look out, you'll get a shock. She says, you're going to get a shock. I'm laying on the ground. I look up at her, see, and she walks away. She comes back, and she says, the lights don't work. <laughs> and then she saw my room. Here, here she had her drapes, which we got from Sears Roebuck, with the Dutch windmills, all of them, and they were all burnt off halfway up. <laughs> and I want to tell you one of the crazy things that happened with that lightning. See, lightning had hit my antenna, had come right down into my room, had belted the daylights out of my transmitter, knocked me out of the day bed, and then left. But what it did, I'll never forget. Here was the house. It was on the first floor. We lived in a framed bungalow. And I'm looking at, this was my bedroom, see. For some eerie reason, I've never seen lightning ever do this. There was a crack that went from the, absolutely from the ceiling, all the way down to the floor. The entire wall of the house had been pushed in like a V, like a truck had driven into the side of it. It went all the way down into the foundation. I took one look at that. Holy smokes. And I, 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 I'm trying to push the house back. And I, I push it on my hands are all burnt, my pants are burned off, my earphones are hanging. I look around. And then my mother's behind me. She says, what have you done to the house? <laughs> I'll tell you, I'm serious. If you ever try to explain something like that, you know, it's a, it was a major crisis in our family when you busted a window. I have busted the house. It's pushed in like that, see? And my mother is standing there with a dish rag hanging. And we had lived in this house now for like 15 years, ever since I was a little, you know, baby. I was born there, and we've been renting this house for years from Mr. Ramey.
Mr. Ramey, he was like our family scrongy landlord, you know? And my mother says, what will Mr. Ramey say? She says, all right. There's a pause. I'm going to have to tell your father. <laughs> How many of you remember that phrase? That means capital punishment. That is it, see? And so, oh, I'm scared. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just... Oh, oh. And I'm trying to push the house back, and I, I, my wires are on, my transmitter's burned up, and my, my elbows are hurting, and I'm... My earphones are burned off my ears and my transmitter's gone and the whole world is crumbling. And then up the driveway comes this car. And I'm sitting on my front, my day bed, which I had in my bedroom. I'm scared because my mother says, you're not going to leave the house until he gets home. And I hear the old man come in like he always did on summer afternoons, you know. I'm here, here's the chief, you know, wow. And there's a pause. And I hear these voices. <laughs> He says, what? <laughs> and I hear these feet, you know, those approaching feet. <laughs> it is justice approaching. It is destiny. I hear boom, 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 boom. I'm sitting there. The old man comes in and he looks at the room. Did you do this? <laughs> Did your damn grid leak do this? <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. Where's Randy? My kid brother, ever since the lightning had struck, had been hiding down in the coal bin under the coal. <laughs> whimpering. You could hear him whimpering from under the cold, you see, because we had this relationship. He knew when the boom was going to be lowered on me, and he always got the backlash. <laughs> so the two of us, it was, it was very close like that. So he says, all right, Randy, come up on the basement. Let's go, all of you. Hurry up. Sit there with water foot, foot, foot now, you know. He said, all right, come on, sit down. And he called my mother Ann. That is when it is really official. <laughs> he always used to call her, all right, mom, or something like that. He says, all right, Ann, come on in here. All right, sit down. We sit. I'm sitting there like this. He says, okay. Tonight, we move. <laughs> he says, we're moving tonight. And all I remember about that night was frantic unloading drawers, piling stuff into my uncle's pickup truck. And we moved all the way across town. <laughs> we just left the wreckage behind us. And, and we moved across town, and the next morning I wake up in this, this new house, you know, this terrible new house, and nothing worked, the john didn't work, and... They had rented it like five minutes. They got an ad in the paper, called them up. We're moving in in ten minutes. Get it ready. <laughs> it's how many rooms? I don't care how many rooms. I got a door you can lock. That's all I want. And we moved into this new house. And, and, and we never went back. Now, I'm telling you, that's how we left the neighborhood. I never went back to Cleveland Street. Ever again. Lightning had struck. <laughs> Well, about a year ago, I'm going to tell you a very funny little aftermath of this. About a year ago, I, I took a trip out to, out to Hammond, our town, see. And I'm visiting my mother and all that stuff. And I said, hey, Mom, what does the old neighborhood look like? You know, Cleveland Street? And she got that funny white expression. <laughs> she said, well, we don't go back to Cleveland Street. We just never get around Cleveland Street anymore, you know. I says, Ma, I'm going to drive out through Cleveland Street. And she says, well, wear your sunglasses. <laughs> Tell you the true story. She says, you know, she says, don't, don't pause there, you know, just drive around. I said, okay, Ma. And I got in my car and I drove down this street 
Now, I don't know whether any of you have ever been back to the, to the neighborhood where you were born. It's eerie. It's fantastic how little everything is. Yeah, here are these little houses. We even have little trees. And there were all kinds of little people walking around. You know, it, it reminded me of one of these little towns that you see with model airplanes, model railroads, you know. And they're all walking around. And, and sure enough, I came down Cleveland Street, and there's that, that excitement, see. I passed Watts's house where I had had many a fist fight. I drive another block and I pass Esther Jane's house. Yeah, there's the, there's the house that used to be lived in by the chick that I was madly in love with. And I drive past and you can see the screens and they've been out of there long since, you know. You can see the snowball bushes. I drive a little further and there's Flick's house. They don't live there anymore. I drive past Schwartz's house and now I'm very careful I'm very careful. I put the car in, in second, so if I gotta go real quick, see. You know, Mr. Ramey may be hiding in the bushes yet. You know, like Captain Ahab, figuring one day, one day the criminal returns to the scene of his crime. And he does. Here I am, you know, it's eerie. So I put it in second and I start sliding down the opposite side, and I'm gonna tell you it's a funny, a fantastically funny feeling. There is the house that I grew up in. There it is. It's the same color. That kind of a, a strange dun brown. My father had a word for it. <laughs> and the reason that, that, that Ramey painted it that color, he says, it lasts good. Well, here it is. It's that same color, you know. And, and, and there it is. It's, it's very eerie. And here's the porch, the, the yard. And I could see a couple of the boards were out under the porch. And there's the tree that we had our bounding board attached to. You could still see the place where all the branches were off. And sure enough, I could see that crack. <laughs> there was the crack running right down from the top. And they had put a little tar in it. And I see on the porch, there's a kid playing. Yeah, he's about a 10, 12-year-old kid. He's playing, see? I could see him. He's talking to another kid across the street. And I'm driving past my car. And for a brief instant, I had this urge to, you know, run the window down and say, Hey, kid, you know that crack? <laughs> that one that nobody knows how it came there? <laughs> You ain't the only one who was a kid once, kid. <laughs> you know, there he is. He's playing up there on the porch. And up on the roof, there was the vestigial remains of my antenna pole. Still up there. A couple of wires, you know, still laying there. Here's this kid. I drove around the block. I came back again. I drove up in front of the house. And I looked for a long moment. And I see the kid looking down at me. This kid sees a car, see, so pulling up an official-looking guy in it. Sunglasses, see. <laughs> and I see the kid, he gets kind of white, you know? And he goes in the house. And then I see the curtains open up a little bit, and I see this lady with her hair up in curls. And she's peeking out through the curtain. Obviously, the kid has said to his mother, Hey, Ma, the assessor's looking at the house. There was somebody official showing up. And I look there. She looks at me. I see this kid peeking out. I see the crack in the house. I slowly put the car in first, and I drive away. I get down to the end of the block, and I turn left. And it's getting kind of dark. It was a summer afternoon. A few raindrops were coming down. I could see a little lightning, heat lightning, playing up there among those clouds. And I can't help it. I drive around again. And here's this smart kid. He's got that look, you know. You know that look of the kid that's on top of it? We got six of them in the audience tonight. You know. And I look up at this kid. And between us, for a second, there passed something. At least on my side. 
one thing I wanted to say to you. Kid, look out. <laughs> you think you got the world by the you-know-what? <laughs> look out, kid. You can hear... <laughs> another roll of thunder. Another roar. And I was back into the world of reality. And I drove down the main street. And there, there was the igloo. Believe it or not, still there. And across the street was the red rooster. And I saw a couple of paper cups. So I pulled up in the parking lot and I went into the igloo. And here's this guy comes out. Walks out. What do you want? Can I help you? I looked at him. And I said, uh, is John around? He says, John. I says, yeah, is John around? Oh, big John. You know, old Big John, a big tough guy. He said, oh, you're talking about my dad. Long pause. And I said, do you remember the ice cream war? <laughs> he says, the ice cream war? Oh, yeah. He says, boy, do I remember the ice cream war? He says, I was nine years old. My old man had me on vanilla. <laughs> I says, well, I was nine years old and I was waiting in line. And he says, by God. He says, a real veteran. <laughs> he says, they don't come in much. He says, how about an ice cream cone on me? I said, no. No, no. I said, I will have a triple dip, one pineapple dip, one chocolate dip, and one strawberry dip and I wish to pay seven cents for it. <laughs> and he says, how come seven cents? And I says, well, we never got to the window. <laughs> well, I walked out into that heat lightning and I could see the lightning playing over the steel mill and I took a great big lick of that strawberry comb and I knew deep down inside that Ahab was right. That it all comes to he who waits. And so we'll be back next week at the same time. Thank you. Yeah!